Hey, Dr. Darko, where do you go to get your life and disability insurance? I went to Set for Life Insurance. They helped me save over 30% compared to my previous policy. Wow, I'm paying an arm and a leg for my life and disability insurance. What's that company called again? Set for Life Insurance. Check them out at setforlifeinsurance.com and tell them Dr. Darko sent you. Welcome to Doc's Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry. You're getting real live insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. Hey docs, are you looking to learn how to become a physician leader? Then Physician CEO is for you. Physician CEO is an accelerated business immersion program designed for physicians and developed by MBA faculty from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. So learn more at www.physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. What's good, everyone? Thanks for joining me on not just any episode. This is the first episode of September. Fall is officially pretty much upon us. This year is going by really, really quick. By the time you hear this episode, me, my wife, my son will be overseas in Ghana, West Africa, visiting family, spending time with them, but also at the same time participating in a medical humanitarian trip slash organization called International Healthcare Volunteers, or short IHCV. It's an organization that we have been a part of since about 2010, 2011. And the big tenets, obviously, are sustainability, which I think most organizations should be really focused on. But uh, from a clinical standpoint, we really focus on women's health, OB, gyne, as well as general surgery. We also do internal medicine. Um, We can use basically specialties from all uh, walks of specialties, (laughs) um, which include anesthesia, Uh, pediatrics, you name it. So we are looking for 2019. Make sure you go to ihcv.org to learn more. I will be broadcasting from there through Instagram as well as through Facebook. And I think I may actually do a couple of interviews out there. So make sure you stay tuned. Well, I also want to really thank you all for the feedback from not the past episode, but the episode before that with Dr. Chun Lee, who is a physician who's turned into a world-renowned photographer. And like I said earlier, I wasn't sure if the audience, if you all would be ready for this type of interview because we went to so many different levels, but I sat on it for two years and I finally decided to put it out and I've been getting nothing but great feedback through email as well as through Instagram. So once again, if you have not listened to that episode, please make sure you go ahead and check it out. On this episode, my next guest is Dr. Katie Deming. She is a radiation oncologist who is truly living her life outside the box. She is a fashion designer. She is an inventor. And now you can add entrepreneur to the ranks. She is founder and CEO of Make Mary and Minka. And this is a clothing label that is focused on creating intimates for women who have sensitive skin from radiation or surgery. Definitely a population that has been ignored for a long time. She holds a utility patent on one of her designs 
and she has several other inventions in the works. Now, she continues to practice oncology in Portland, Oregon, and she specializes mainly in breast and gynecologic cancers. On this show, we're going to be talking about the difficulty that women with sensitive skin from radiation or from surgery experience and why it's really hard for them to find comfortable and stylish intimates for them. We're going to talk about how she took this problem and created a solution the patent process, the trials and tribulations of being an entrepreneur, uh, other things we're going to talk about. And for all you women, physician, entrepreneurs out there, she's got some really good advice for you all. We're also going to talk about what it was like to be featured on the Today Show. And as with all of my guests, you're going to hear how she answers hashtag I'm not just a doc. This is going to be a good one. Looking forward to your feedback. And without further ado, I present Dr. Katie Deming. Dr. Katie Deming from Make Mary. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box. What's good? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. I'm really glad to have you on the show. Um, I think this is the first time I've had a clothing designer on the show. So before we get so much into the nitty gritty, though, let's take an opportunity. Let's take a step back. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what med school, all of that. Sure. So I am a radiation oncologist, but I am from California originally. I went to medical school and completed residency at Duke University in North Carolina and have been practicing in Portland, Oregon for the past 12 years as a board certified radiation oncologist specializing in breast and gynecologic cancers. I love it. I love it. So, um, there's something that you do that is really interesting that I think, um, you know, I think that we all can definitely, you know, learn from. And that thing is that you're a clothing designer and you have a company called Make Mary, which I think is awesome. So let's talk about that process of going from being a radiation oncologist to where you are right now. Like, how did you take that step? Why did you take that step? Um, let's start from there. Sure. So I was taught as a resident in radiation oncology that women with uh, breast cancer who are receiving radiation would develop a sensitivity of their skin, redness like a sunburn, and that it would be uncomfortable to wear traditional bras. So the attendings that I worked with had said, tell women to go braless during radiation. Mm -hmm. And I never really questioned that actually as a resident, even though in retrospect, I realized that was probably not great advice, just because women need to go to work and do all their normal activities and not wearing a bra is actually not really a reasonable solution for that. But when I went out into practice, I started telling my patients, you know, that I had learned to, that going braless would be the most comfortable way to get through the treatment. And number one, the women's response was kind of like, now I realize you can't do that, going to work and doing all your normal activities without a bra. But then the other thing that I realized was that actually it was painful to go braless because radiation not only causes a sunburn-like reaction, but it also causes swelling in the breast. And so having some level of support is actually important for comfort. 
And so what I did was <clears throat> I knew that there were bras that were covered by insurance companies for women who've had surgery for breast cancer. And I figured somebody had designed a bra that was good for surgery and radiation since most women who have a lumpectomy have radiation and then about half the women who have a mastectomy need radiation as well. And so I went into one of these boutiques that specializes in uh, bras for women with breast cancer and I told them that I had breast cancer myself and that I was preparing to have a lumpectomy and radiation and I wanted to know what they would recommend that my doctor had recommended I come here that he was going to send a prescription but they hadn't done it yet. And uh, so it was kind of the ultimate undercover mission of sorts. Um, and what I found out actually was that the experience was horrifying mm -hmm. on multiple levels. The first part was that when I came in and I told them that I had breast cancer, I was walked past all of the beautiful bras that would normally be available to me on the showroom floor and was taken into a back dressing room. And then the products that were brought to me all were in this medical packaging that appeared like they were for someone who was sick, number one. The women on the front looked like they were sick. And then the, pa the products, when I took them out of the packages, were hideous. Nothing I would ever want to wear myself by choice. And then when I put them on, I realized that they were super irritating for women who are having radiation. So they would actually be all wrong for what my patients needed. So how, how did that make you feel knowing that? It was terrible. And actually, I felt terrible, like, oh my goodness, if I feel like this and I don't have cancer and I'm a doctor who's just doing kind of some research, how do my patients feel when they go through this? Right. And they're made to think that these are the only options for them. And then when I left the store, I felt terrible thinking about that I had sent my patients for this experience, that I had sent some patients to get bras after surgery thinking this would be helpful for them, but ultimately they had purchased something that number one was gonna make them feel not like a woman, it was definitely not gonna make them feel beautiful, and it was going to irritate their skin. So it wasn't actually gonna do what I was hoping it would do for them during treatment. And they would have spent about $70 on this bra. So I decided when I left the store that I was not gonna send patients anymore for that experience. And I also decided that I was just going to work with my patients to try and understand the problem so that I can help them solve it with their own bras or camisoles. And so for about four years, I would work with my patients. Every patient that I saw, I would ask them, what feels good against your skin? What irritates it? What are you find, finding that works? What are the things that are your biggest problem areas? And so we started problem solving and I would have them flip camisoles inside out. I would put t-shirts under their bras. I would flip their bras inside out. I would flip t-shirts inside out and put it inside the bras. I would take cotton and put it inside the bras. I put panty liners on the seams under the arms, you name it. I did it and it was all ridiculous because here I am a doctor in this super sophisticated clinic with the highest technology and I'm asking my patients to flip their t-shirts inside out and put them on under their bras. So anyway, I did not think this is a problem that I could solve nor did I think that I was had the resources or could, you know, create something that would be um, marketable. But ultimately what happened was is that same boutique that had 
I had gone to all the years before now about four years ago I they called and said they wanted to come and present to the doctors all the bras that they have for women with breast cancer and so I was so excited I was like oh my goodness someone knows that this problem exists and someone has a solution and they're coming to show us so I was so okay. excited for this meeting and I was actually the only female in my group at the time. There were four of us, and there were three other men, radiation oncologists and myself. And so we sat down with these reps, and they came in, and they showed me all of the same bras that I had seen on that. From four years ago. From four years ago. Wow. And so I said to them, I said, you know, you're in a radiation oncology clinic, which means every woman in this department is having radiation. They've either had a lumpectomy or a mastectomy, but they're all having radiation. And the bras that you're showing us are good for a mastectomy, but I'm just wondering what you recommend for women who need radiation. And the women looked at each other, and then they looked at me, and they said, we don't know. Like, we never thought about that. We really think about it as a post-surgical problem. So what do you want to see in a bra? And we can tell you which ones have those features. So then I just started, I mean, at that point, I knew everything about every aspect of a bra that could be irritating for a woman having radiation. So I rattled off like 10 different design features that I was looking like, for. Wait, let me get my notebook out from all this four years of research. <laughs> Since you asked. <laughs> exactly. I was like, how much time do you have? Do you have four hours? I can tell you all the problems. Right. But, so I told them all of these features that I would want in a bra, because at that point, I really had a picture of what I wanted for my patients. And they looked at each other and they said, there's nothing on the market. Mm. There are products that have maybe one of those features, but nothing that has all of those features together. And so one of the women um, said, you know, I used to work for one of these big apparel manufacturers that is like the giant in the breast cancer space. And do you mind if I connect with the people in R&D and tell them what you're seeing so that they can develop the product that would solve this problem? And so I was like, yes, I would be so excited if someone solved this problem. So I went home that night and on my drive home from work, I started thinking about do I want that company that has designed all those hideous bras that I would never wear myself to design the product for my patients? And the answer is no, I did not want them to be designing this bra. And the other thing was is that I knew this problem better than anybody else because it had become kind of my pet project of like really trying to understand it. And so I knew what I wanted in a product. And I also knew how I wanted it to make my patients feel that so I then, wanted. I'm sorry, but I was just going to say, how, how did you get to the point where you're actually making, you know, a model? Like how, how did that occur? Yeah. So basically long story short there, I just decided, I don't know anything about apparel manufacturing. I called the woman back. I said, I have no idea how to manufacture a product, but I know a lot about this problem and I want to try and solve it myself. So please don't tell this larger company, I'm gonna try and you know tackle it here. And so what happened was, is that I live in an apparel town. So I live in Portland, Oregon, which is the global headquarters for Nike, Adidas, mm -hmm. and Columbia Sportswear. So there are lots of designers, powder makers, sample sewers in town. And I just started to ask around so that I could create a little team that would design a prototype. And that's what I did is we just started working and it started with a camisole that ultimately now has a utility patent. But I started designing and then I would test on 
not my own patients. So this was one of the things in order for me to own the intellectual property, it needed to be done all outside of my clinic. So I started wear testing with women that were in the community who are having radiation. And basically it took me six years mm. of prototyping, wear testing, revising, patenting for me to come up with a finished product. And I don't think that it should have taken that long, but it was a combination of factors. I didn't know what I was doing, right? So there are a lot of things that I, mistakes that I made that an apparel designer wouldn't have made. Um, number two, I was doing this on the side while I was still have it, you know, had a full-time medical practice and raising three small children. And the third piece was that I, um, didn't understand the process of how to make things happen faster. And so in retrospect, I could have, you know, hired a team that had more experience of like the end to end process and I could have made all of that happen much faster, but I took my time um, and ultimately ended up with three products that I knew would work for my patients. But the next hurdle was that once you design something, you have to make it. Mm. You have to be able to make it so that you can get it to the patients. And you can't just do that through a sample store because a sample costs like $150 per sample. So that's where I ran into um, obstacles in terms of getting into production because I had used all of my savings, about $70,000 to prototype and wear test and patent. Wow. And this is, all, this is all, all over six years. Yes. Wow. Okay. And so I then started looking into funding options and venture capitalists laughed at me. Number one, because the market was small. Number two, because I was working full time and they said that I needed to quit my day job, but this wasn't really a job or a career change for me. This was just a way to care for my patients. So I wasn't willing to leave my job. Um, look, banks wouldn't loan me money for the same reason they wanted me to quit my job. And so ultimately I ended up licensing the products to another company in order to get them into the market. So, what, so what does that mean specifically when you're licensing you know, the product? T talk to us about this. Cause I know I, there are other people out here who are listening, they're interested, they have something out there that they want to invent or they've invented and they may be going through the same type of obstacles that you're going through and they want to get it out mass market and they're thinking about doing something similar talk to them talk to them about that what does that mean okay so when you have intellectual property like a patent you can actually license that design to another entity to manufacture and market your uh, product for a given distribution. For me, I licensed it in the specific category of breast cancer. So that meant that she could take my designs, manufacture them, distribute them and market them to women with breast cancer. And I would then rece receive a royalty payment for each bra that's sold. So, Anytime you have intellectual property, there is the option to license it to another entity so that you don't take on number one, that risk of purchasing all the production um, inventory, um, and then two, someone else is marketing the products. But I think there are uh, definitely some things that you want to think about as a doctor. I think this is actually a common way for doctors to get products into the market um, is through licensing, but you need to think about who you're licensing to um, when you're entering into an agreement like this. And the big things to think about are, number one, why would they want your products? Because one of the things that people can do is they can license your products to squash 
<laughs> you as a competitor. Oh, and so they can buy it and, and they kill can it. And kill it. Okay. So that's number one that can happen. And then uh, number two is that if your product is similar to their products and your product starts doing well, you ultimately have created created a competitor to them and they can kill it for that reason. So you really want to make sure whoever you're partnering with that your product is complementary to them and that there are not these risks that they're basically just taking you on as a licensed, uh, licensed product in order to take you out of the competitive landscape. And now a word from our sponsor. Understanding how to run a business in medicine will put you at a unique advantage in the future. Whether it's leading a hospital, practice, or starting a new venture, the Physician CEO program will put you in focus from day one. Physician CEO is an accelerated business immersion program developed by MBA faculty from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. The Physician CEO program provides an intensive MBA-style education made up of modules, with each module covering topics from leadership to entrepreneurial ventures. Because of their individualized structure, each participant leaves the program with their one, three, and even five-year business plan, all designed to function in the real world. If you're a physician who is looking to start your own venture, lead your practice or department, or even start planning for succession out of medicine, then you can't afford to miss this opportunity. Class is filling up. Learn more at www.physician-ceo.com forward slash D-O-T-B. So what was it like when... Um, you started to notice that your product was gaining traction because I know that at one point, you know, your items, your, you in general were, were featured on the today show. Um, take us through that moment. Like what was the timeline from having your product license to when you got featured on the today show? So we were featured on the today show the day before we launched. So, oh, wow. So you've been, you were getting traction even before then my bad, excuse me. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. So, uh, yeah, we got some really good press early on. And, um, yeah, I think that some of that was uh, working with a PR agency around the launch, and then some was connection. So the Today Show happened to be a personal connection through my licensee that they had featured her when she had launched her line and said, you know, please let us know when you've got your next uh, launch or announcement. And so it was something that we were able to um you know, get featured early on, which was helpful for us. But we've had really good press consistently um, over the years. And I think some of that is really establishing relationships and, um, and really making sure you're reaching out so that people know when you're doing something new and you have something to talk about. Hmm. That's awesome. So when you got your designs featured on Fashion Week, what was that like? Talk to us about that. So that was incredible. Uh, we were in New York Fashion Week in 2017 and in 2018. In 2017, it happened quite quickly where I was not able to make the show. So my products were in the show, but I actually was not physically there. Um, but this last year in 2019, or sorry, it's 2018, I'm ahead of myself. Um, I was able to be at the show and the show was really incredible for multiple reasons. The first was that every woman who was in the show was a real woman dealing with breast cancer. So there were 30 women. They were all at varying stages uh, of breast cancer. Some of them were metastatic. 
and they modeled in the show and were amazing truly amazing their energy and what they brought was incredible and actually watching from the day before the show for the fitting and some of the coaching on how to walk a catwalk they walked in and they had never done this before and they came in really shy and nervous and there was this amazing runway coach lolita frazier who is incredible in her own right but she really the first thing she said to these women was I want you to think of yourselves tomorrow, not as models like body objects, but as role models for the mm. world to see the cancer doesn't define you and that you are powerful and you have strength and that you are showing the world that cancer's not gonna get you down. And from that moment of that kind of coaching with her- That's getting me amped up. I love it actually. That's very, very empowering right there. It is. And she actually, that's what she does. She does runway uh, coaching and really about thinking about how you walk in your life. And so her message is incredible. But from watching the women walk in, not having any experience, being nervous and scared, and then coming out on that runway and just killing it to a packed house of standing room only, uh, truly brought tears to my eyes. So, you know, watching these women who I would have never thought that my products would be even in a runway show at all, let alone New York Fashion Week. And then to be on real women who are walking their own journey and truly beautiful, you know, more than just what they are outwardly um, from a physical feature, a feature standpoint. They're really beautiful women who are powerful and kind of embodying everything that I hoped for my brand of really showing that it's important to feel beautiful, powerful, confident, no matter what you're facing in life. Mm, it was, I love it. It was amazing. I love it. Now, speaking of your brand, you now have make Mary as the name of your company. What's it like to actually have your own company, have its own name, um, designing products under your name, under your own name, as opposed to licensing. Can you talk about that? Well, so I am in the process. Um, I currently am still in the licensing agreement and my products are licensed at the, as the Make Mary collection for Anna Ono. And so Make Mary is my collection, but it is still under a licensing agreement. In 2019, I'm launching a new line for sensitive skin and that will be my own company outside of a licensing agreement. Wow. Wow. Now, what are your... Um what do your colleagues say about all this? Because I'm, I'm sure they, you know, you obviously, you're, we're in the office right now, you're interviewing. What's that life like? Do they make comments about it? Is it positive? Is it negative? Sure. So I think initially people were skeptical and didn't really understand the need. And I think still some people. You mean your own colleagues didn't recognize the need? Yeah. Really? most of my colleagues were men. And I think that men don't talk to their patients as much about bras. I mean, <laughs> just to be honest, right? Like you don't wear a bra. So do you talk to your patients about bra, bra they're wearing? As a matter of fact, Dr. Deming, I just, <laughs> now I'm teasing, I don't. So you're right. <laughs> so I think that it's a conversation that the nurses were having with the patients. So, so the nurses clearly understood, but then some of my colleagues were like, oh, okay, you're designing a camisole, great. You know, like, they, they, and they just didn't get it. But I think um, as time has gone on, 
my male colleagues have been super supportive of me and now I have a female partner and she 100% gets it she actually wears my bra every day ah. and, um, so I think it's uh, that's awesome though yeah it is I think it's built over time and I think it's like with anything people need to see number one that you're really serious about something like when you first come up with an idea that sounds a little bit outside the box pun intended. No pun intended or pun intended. Okay. All right. <laughs> pun intended. Um, so I think when you first come up with an idea like that, people are a little bit taken off guard and wonder what that's all about. But as you establish that, no, this is really serious and I'm, I'm really doing this. I think people start to ask questions. They want to know why. And as I was able to talk through why I thought this was important for our patients, I've had really great support from my colleagues. Oh, that's great. Love it. I love it. Now, What's your advice to other female doctors who are listening to the show? You know, they got the entrepreneurial spirit, but you know, they, they're, they're sitting on the fence. They're not sure if they should take that jump, that leap. Can you um, offer some words of encouragement to them? Yeah. So I think the first thing to do is to start talking to some other physician entrepreneurs and look around to see who else has done something similar to what you want to do and ask questions to say, what is that like? You know, cause you do have to make choices as you start to expand outside of the clinic. And one of the things that I find really valuable, valuable is there's a Facebook group called female physician entrepreneurs and it's run by Sharon McLaughlin. And it's truly an amazing group for women who are either already pursuing an entrepreneurial endeavor or are thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And what's great is that it gives this kind of tribe of women support around exploring ideas outside of medicine. And for me, it's been really valuable because I think there's so many ups and downs that as physicians, we understand that may be different from other entrepreneurs. And one of the big things is this concept of in medicine, our paths are very linear. And we're used to kind of, you have this step and then this step, and then you take your MCAT and then you get into medical school and you just follow the path. And as long as you're following the path and doing the work, you're gonna make it to the end, which is becoming a doctor. Whereas as an entrepreneur, you feel like all of a sudden you're free-flowing and could go in any different direction and there doesn't seem to be a clear right path and it's very uh, disconcerting I think for a physician and we understand that in supporting each other through that process and realizing you know this is normal and it's normal that we have more anxiety around this kind of free fall um, has been really helpful for me and I'm so grateful to the support of those women. So let, let's say the business blows up which it will right are you, do you ever get concerned that maybe you may have to give up clinical practice to really focus, you know, a hundred percent on the business? Yeah. So I'm glad that you said that because it is going to happen. And, so, uh, that, but, that, but that's why, you know, I speak it into existence, you know, that's right. yeah, I think so, we're, I think we're, we're like spirit animals. I love it. You know, that's right. So when I become a, a mega star, no, I'm joking. So I, um, you know, I think about this. I, when I launched the products, I absolutely was not looking to leave medicine. It was not on my radar. This was a way for me to care for my patients more fully, but I do realize that as this takes off, there will be some compromise. And I do hope that I can practice medicine. I'm just not sure it's gonna be in the same capacity that I do today. Currently I work 0.9 um, and I work 
every other waking hour on my business. And eventually, I think there will be a point where I can't do both at the same level and I'll have to make some choices. Mm, I love it. I love it. And thank you for being honest. I really, I think the audience really appreciates that, right? Because, you know, specifically about the answer that you gave about medicine being very linear, you take step one, step two, step three, and then eventually, if you follow all the steps and do it the right way, play the game the right way, you're going to end up being a doctor. But being an entrepreneur is completely a totally different game. So I want to talk to you about that. And um, obviously, you know, there's a lot of things that you have to, a lot of paths that you have to trailblaze for yourself, um, a lot of uncertainty. Um, how do you handle fear? Or do you not feel fear, fear at all? No, absolutely. I feel fear. And actually, fear is my biggest obstacle in my entrepreneurial endeavors. I love it. Let's get real. Why, why do you say that? So for me, I think being a doctor has been very safe. And I knew what I needed to do to succeed. And being an entrepreneur, there is a high chance of failure, just to be totally real. And for me, I have a fear of failing. I don't want to do something and then have it go flat. And so I think one of the things that I get fearful about that gets in my way of doing the work is that I think about the end result and like what's going to happen. Am I going to be successful? Is it going to be financially viable? And so one of the things that I've taught myself is to back out of that and not be focused on the end result, but be focused on the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I'm trying to solve a problem. And then what I do is I focus on what is the step that I need to take today to get me closer to making a product that is useful for my patients. And I do that one thing. And what's amazing is if you take small steps every day, consistently, day after day, you make progress. And then you're able to look back and go, oh, wow, I am building something, even though it doesn't feel like that at the time. And so for me, that's been a really helpful way to overcome my fear. And then the other thing is acknowledging that fear is a big part of being an entrepreneur. And so it's not that I need to get rid of the fear. It's that I need to acknowledge that that's normal. And actually, in some ways, I think that fear is helpful as an entrepreneur. I think it gets you out of keeps you out of trouble, but acting in spite of the fear. So I think the Mark Twain uh, said, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather action in the face of fear. So mm. really acting, even though you are fearful of whatever. And I think, you know- Dr. Katie Deming dropping gems. I love it. Keep it coming. <laughs> So for me, I think that, you know, it's fear is real. And I think actually that's one of the things that I see in the female physician entrepreneur group is lots of women struggle with fear in their entrepreneurial life and how to manage that is going to be key to succeeding. So do you think maybe it's a, a, a good way to define it? Obviously the best way is what you said with Mark Twain's quote, but like falling in love with the process, mm -hmm. you know, obviously you have the prize that's going to be at the end, but really falling in love with the process. And then eventually you're, you'll fall, you'll find yourself finding the prize. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So what's your, what's your morning routine? Like, tell us about it. So my alarm goes off at five. 
hit the snooze button and go back to sleep for two hours. No, I'm what? Yo. <laughs> no. I want your life. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, my alarm goes off at five. I get up. I meditate for 10 minutes. Wait, wait. So you're not even hitting the snooze, not even once? Come on. I, Come on. So the studies say hitting the snooze button is actually the worst thing for you. So I do occasionally do it, but I All right, try that's what I was as hard as I can not to do it. <laughs> no, I try not to do it. So my goal is that I get up at five, I meditate for 10 minutes, and then I started journaling. So for me, my field outside of medicine is creative and I need to tap into that. And my one way of doing that is to journal. So I journal for about 25 to 30 minutes and then I try to hit the gym in the morning, but sometimes children get in the way of that. So mm -hmm. if I'm not able to do that before work, then I'll do it afterwards. But um, I typically try to do those three things, journal, meditate, exercise, and then start my day. All right, let oh, me, let me go ahead. Go ahead, please. Oh, and no, one other thing that I do do that I think is really helpful is I set my priorities for the day. Mm. So, do you do that the day before, the night before or the day of? I don't do, I do it the morning of, and I use, uh, there's a productivity planner that I use that basically I have five high level things that I have listed that need to drive my business forward. And then what I do is I have a list. What are the things that I must do today? Not all the things that I could do, but like I have like one to three things that I must do today. And I have at least one person that I need to reach out to. So I always do those and prioritize. And I do those things before I check my email, before uh, I check my social media. Before so you look at YouTube videos of cats. Got yeah, you, got exactly. you, got you. Just to make sure that my priorities <laughs> rule my day and not everybody else's priorities. Because people are emailing and asking for all kinds of things. But the truth is, is if I don't set what's important for me to move my business forward, it doesn't happen. I love it. I love it. That's a great answer. Let me ask you a question. All right, I need some help. So I'm gonna put myself out there. Meditating, I hear a lot of people talk about meditation and meditating. I have a major issue with focusing. So for the other listeners who are out there, they wake up in the morning um, and they have a zillion and one things going on in their mind. How do you find that place? How do you find that time? I know it's 10 minutes. Take us through how I'm supposed to be able to focus for 10 minutes or at least just meditate for 10 minutes. Yeah, so I think that is the big misconception is that you don't need to focus. It's really just taking 10 minutes to focus on your breath and all kinds of crazy stuff comes up and it's training your mind to come back to the breath. One of the things that I actually do that I didn't mention before I meditate is I write down free form, like a bunch of things that I have to do because I find that's one of the things that gets in the way of my meditation. So I'll quickly jot down if there are things that I'm thinking about that I need to get off my mind, I'll write those down and then I sit down for 10 minutes. But I have another female entrepreneur friend who's also a physician who just came back from a 10 day silent Ooh. meditation retreat. I heard about I, these. No cell phone, no emails, nothing, right? Yeah. And I have to say, I am not up to that challenge challenge yet. But, you know, I think the big thing is, is that taking the expectation off of meditation, it really, for me, is just sitting and breathing for 10 minutes to try to help quiet my mind. It's not quiet in there. I'll just tell you that. It's not. There's lots of stuff going on. And what I'm trying to do, though, is create some space and try to 
you know, be more present in my life. And I think doing 10 minutes of breathing helps with that. Love it. Thank you very much for that. Oh, of course. I think that it's, it's people are afraid of meditating because they think they're supposed to do something. But the truth is, it's really just sitting in 10 minutes of breathing. Well, I'm going to try it because I've, I've been trying to get it done. And like you said, I, I, I think I'm supposed to be like, you know, all meta and stuff and it just never works for me. So I'm going to try that, see how it works. I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah, I want to hear about it. <laughs> all right. Well, look, we're at the end of the interview, but let's do a quick fast fire session. You down? Yeah, I'm down. Okay. So what's one thing you want listeners to get from this podcast? That being an entrepreneur is a daily hustle and hard work and nothing happens overnight. Whenever you see someone successful, it's been years in the making. And there's no such thing as an overnight success. That's right. I love it. I love it. Okay. Knowing what you know now, what kind of advice would you have given to yourself as a pre-med or even as a med student? Trust your gut. Mm, Do what you love. What's one piece of technology, a life hack that you use uh, to make yourself more productive? So the most recent app that I just discovered is a plugin for Gmail called Assistant.2. And it has saved me a ton of time because it basically helps you look at your calendar when you're trying to schedule a meeting or phone call with a colleague and will allow you to kind of drop in a couple of options for the meeting. And I find that one of the biggest time sucks for me is scheduling meetings or coordinating schedules. And this is a way for me to do it quickly. Mm, Love it. I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Well, look, I'm going to ask you this. I want you to finish this hashtag. It's hashtag. I'm not just a doc. I'm a fashion designer. Love it. Boom. Mic drop. Well, Dr. Katie Deming, thank you so much for your time, for being on the show. I think we learned a ton from you, the transition from going from radiation oncologist to clothing designer and the ebb and flow in between. Um, This is really awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being a doc outside the box. Thank you so much for having me. It's been my pleasure. And that's a wrap. Once again, I want to thank Dr. Katie Deming for taking the time out for being on Docs Outside the Box. Really appreciate it. You know, her getting real with the whole process of of how long it takes to really get a product out there and licensing and all those things that we don't normally think about. If you want to learn more about her as well as her company, Make Mary, please please make sure you check her out at shopmakemary.com. All of the resources that we talked about will be in the show notes, so make sure you check it out. Once again, if you want to leave me feedback, if you want to get in contact with me, make sure you reach out to me on Twitter as well as on Instagram at Dr. Nee Darko. That's D-R-N as in Nancy, I-I-D-A-R-K-O. And I'll catch you guys on the next episode. But before I jet, remember one thing. We only got one life. Let's make it count and live outside the box. Peace. Peace.